How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? Oh, it's been going pretty good. Uh, feeling a little better. Uh, really sick this week. <laughs> yeah, and I know you and I were talking about that earlier this week, and unfortunately, you guys have been under the weather, but, you know, Hopefully all is good over the Gen CHQ. I'm, I managed to sleep about 22 hours on Tuesday, so that was pretty nuts. You know, part of me wants to say that's not healthy, Tim, but you know what? Honestly, we weren't sleep, healthy. Sleeping 22 <laughs> hours is really, that's almost like the goal. Yeah. The life goal, really. Well, ain't much more you can ask for that then, so. That is true. That is true. So, Tim, we've got ourselves an episode today, and... Of course, we got to talk about our cover athlete for today, season five, episode 25, in chronological order, episode 120. Now, of course, the episode was going to be the Merrick Sfatos episode, given he won the cover athlete poll. Unfortunately, I wish that we could talk about this a little bit under happier circumstances, but as many people know, last Monday night, word broke of the passing of Eugene Melnick. Yeah. And that's really the, that's been the story, hasn't it? And this was interesting because you heard some rumblings earlier in 2022 that his health had taken to the worst, but I don't think anyone really thought that much of it because it was a very private thing. It is true. And this is one of the things, like, I think we've fans knew over the last couple of years that his health wasn't great. I think if you, Ronson social media, you could kind of hear rumblings from fans that would see him in the concourse. And they're like, man, this guy doesn't look very healthy and he looks very yellow. But even in the photos, like when Brady got named captain, even some of his public appearances he made over the last year or two, you can tell his health was not in a good place. And unfortunately he would succumb to it this past Monday. And it's one of those things where you and I were recording our episode last week right as we finished recording is when Alex DM'd me and told me about the passing of Eugene Melnick. Yeah. And again, it's just one of those things where you kind of, you take a step back and realize, well, this guy's basically owned the team the whole time we've been watching him. eh? He has. I mean, the entire time that we and I have been fans, Eugene Melnick's been the owner. Yeah. And it's funny because, and I think the sense Colts made a really great point about this is that when Eugene bought the team in 2003, you've got to realize where the Ottawa Senators were, but not only that, but where the NHL was in 2003, because again, the NHL had just lost two Canadian franchises in the mid 1990s. And it looked like the Ottawa Senators were going to be the third. Yeah. And also there just wasn't a ton of interest there, were, there wasn't a ton of parties out there that could potentially buy this team. And that's when Eugene Melnick came in as the white knight. He came in as a guy who made a huge living, where it be in horse breeding, pharmaceuticals, all of his businesses. And now he comes in, he buys the team. And for the first time in franchise history, we have financial stability. Because again, with the previous two owners, whether it be Bruce Firestone's group or Rod Brydon, it was just, there wasn't that kind of, I don't want to say structure, but there wasn't that financial stability within the yeah. team. No. And one of the stories that I think a lot of younger fans don't fully appreciate around the Ottawa centers is that players were getting IOUs that year. Yeah. They weren't getting paid. And Eugene Melnick comes in and sure. He bought the team for a discount. Like, let's be very real here, but he was the only one who was willing to do that. Yeah, and especially at a time when even more established teams like the Montreal Canadiens were struggling and they were struggling to even they were struggling to find an owner. And that's when I believe you correct me if I'm wrong here, but but I believe that Gillette came in and saved the team for a while before the Molson family came in and repurchased. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's really the big thing about the like Eugene Melnick is Gary Bettman might not have been able to make good on his pledge to keep a team in the nation's capital without Mr. Melnick. 
hundred percent. And it was one of those things where, you know, as criticism that Gary Bettman gets for being anti-Canadian and not wanting Canadian teams, he was the reason that Calgary and Edmonton still have a team right now. Yeah. Because he came in with the Canadian assistance program because he says, okay, we're not losing more Canadian teams. Yeah. Because like, how embarrassing would that be for the NHL that you have this hockey crazy country, but because their currency has gone to shit, they can't keep any of their teams. And I mean, I, I get it with the criticism he gets for keeping the Arizona Coyotes, even though there, you can even, there's a lot of people who would say it's been dead in the water for years, but at big city like Atlanta, just, he just gave up on them. From what I remember with Atlanta, they could not find a buyer. And at the same time, though, there were there was interest in Winnipeg. So it kind of the timing was just really bad for Atlanta. But I'm a little. I'm still surprised that they didn't send the Coyotes up, but sending Atlanta over did really help the NHL align, to be perfectly fair. Mm hmm. 100%. But I think it's I mean, you and I've talked about this in the past, how their Atlanta's ownership group completely ran them into the ground yeah it wasn't like atlanta didn't have passionate hockey fans it's that their ownership group just didn't care about the thrashers enough to really put the money into it right which is weird because like looking at some of the like just the players that went through atlanta too like you had guys like marion house Ilya kovalchuk danny healy danny healy <laughs> the late Chris Chelio, sorry, the older years of Chris Chelio. I was going to say, Chelio's still alive. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, I mean, even look at the 2017 when they brought in Bobby Holik, Keith Tachuk, Kozlov was there. So they had some pretty solid players there, but they just couldn't put it together. Andy Sutton was another guy who was on that team. The You're expert. Asking are you asking me or are you telling me? We're telling you. But so it's quite difficult what like it's just very difficult thinking about what exactly Eugene Melnick meant to the Ottawa Senators just because of all these moving parts around the NHL and within Ottawa as well notice how we haven't even really spoken about Eugene Melnick as he moved into wacky billionaire mode and you know this is the next point I wanted to bring up is that you know with the reaction that since Twitter had regarding the passing of Eugene Melnick, it really makes the last four years of his ownership awkward because you know what, when you think of the Melnick out campaign, fans were trying to push him out as owner. There was rumblings. The NHL didn't want him as, as owner of the sins. And now you're looking at now and it's like the overall consensus I got from sense Twitter is the ones that you and I had, which is yeah. regardless of what you thought of Melnick over the past four or five years, Eugene's the reason the Sens are still in Ottawa. And what's interesting is even during like, like the Melnick out and stuff, that was always, that never needed restating. No. Because like, yeah, he's the reason they're still here. So, I mean, I don't really know how much more we can really talk about Mr. Mr. Melnick. I mean, it was just such a tragedy and he definitely will be missed. I think the only thing we can talk about is because now the family of Eugene Melnick is the controlling interest of the team. And now, of course, there's rumblings that of buyers and ownership out there looking to buy. But the one comment I want to make is, and I said this to you, and I didn't know whether it was true or not, that Justin Bieber was kicking tires and being this, the team's owner. We would like we would like a Jay Biebs team. The but uh, Biebs? The Ottawa set of Biebs, but that's the thing is it's really hard. It's really hard to say what will happen with ownership because it, everything is kind of closed and we don't truly know the financial position of the Melnick estate or the Melnick family. And it's true. And I mean, because the controlling interest is now in his daughters and his yeah. daughters, I think are in their twenties. So lots, you never know. You never know. They might keep it in the family. They might sell the team off, but you know, it's just honestly, yeah. what can you really say anymore, right? About yeah, well, yeah, we don't know what the their source of incomes look like. Although it was in one interesting note that you we did see 
is I wasn't aware that uh, Eugene Melnick had been involved with a fairly successful Canadian startup business for medical devices. So it's interesting that, well, maybe, maybe there was more revenue com- available for the senators coming in short order. Yeah, as we saw with the fact they re-signed Brady, Shabbat got 64 over eight. And now, of course, with Norris and Stutzlow looking like they're going to get extensions here in the next year or two. You know, maybe yeah. maybe there was money coming up that people didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. So, like, it may very well be possible that the uh, the Ottawa Senators can't stay in, with the Melnick family. So, honestly, Tim, I think that we should just close off this chapter by thanking Eugene for saving this team. He will be missed. So let's talk about next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is going to be season five, episode 26 in chronological order, episode 121. Now we got three names on the board representing three. Well, I, I wouldn't say three different errors, two different errors of the sense. We've got Brian Spolinski, Nick Paul, and a gentleman who we'll be talking about in the second game this evening or this afternoon, Matu Joseph. You mean Mr. Hattrick himself? Yeah. You know, it's so weird. I said this evening, because we're so used to recording in the, in the evening, and now we're recording in the... I guess, I guess for myself, it's early. It's late, morning, late, yeah. Late morning right now. And we'll talk a little bit... Or actually, you know what? Let's announce it right now why we're doing this, Tim. Yep. Alert, 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 alert. First of all, I can't believe I didn't uh, write this down in my notes. But anyway, <laughs> the reason why we're doing this is because, and this kind of came out of nowhere. Like we had reached out to this person a while back, didn't hear back. Finally heard yesterday, tomorrow night, April 4th, Tim, you and I will have the honor of interviewing the first ever captain in the history of the Ottawa Senators, Mr. Lori Boschman. It's going to be great, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, there's just so much you could ask a guy who met, who had a career that spanned the 80s and the early 90s. Yep. And definitely because, you know, he played on, I think he played four different teams and de- a raging, or not raging, ranging from expansion to up and Original six, yeah. To borderline cup contenders, right? Well, and he also played through the Ballard years. He did. And he also played in Scotland too. Yeah. Like there, it's just a wealth of hockey experience. So it's going to be a great interview. It is, man. I'm really, really looking forward to this. Now, another thing I always look forward to is asking how your week was going. Now I understand that you were, you and Chelsea were fighting off some illness this week, but outside of that, how has your week been going? Didn't really do that much other, other than just kind of sleep. And uh, well, I, I actually ended up working through it, man. Imagine saying that like two years prior, right? Yeah. You got, you get COVID and you just work through it. <laughs> but then again, like I'm a young guy vaccinated, so it's not, su- not surprising. Although it's funny because it's like, but you're working from home too. I'm working from home. Right. Yeah. But the other thing that's really fun is I must be whatever the person who's just like, whatever I get COVID, I just like, or anything COVID really, I just get like really tired. Like, and you guys all saw the, you guys all saw the Tim, Tim second shot episode of the third light plug sends cast. Yeah. Cause it was basically like that on two. Well, what's incredible is that the episode that we did cut with Alex Metzger last Monday, like I'm it. I'm pretty sure it definitely doesn't come across on the finished product, but in the video, did you guys notice me like tur- toggling the physical switch on my microphone every time I had to cough? Um, I didn't really notice it. I noticed it a little bit, but not too, too much. I noticed he was fiddling a bit on his end, but other than that, it wasn't. That yeah, yeah. So uh, I probably already had the sick, the disease on Monday. Basically what you're saying is that you're like disturbed. You were down with the sickness. Uh, I was the real sentence sicko, Tay. Or is it a sense cast sicko? Oh. Yeah. Honestly, overall with my week, it was good. Can't really complain, right? I don't really have too much to comment there. It was good. 
obviously and i talked i didn't talk about this last week that i went to see my first concert in three years nice went what was see, it uh big wreck opening band for monster truck and broken love okay and of course this was the show that i found out of the passing of taylor hawkins and it just happened to be that broken love who are also canadian band from toronto they went on first and they were they were rock solid live i was like because i heard some of the music and i was like okay they're, they're not bad like i wouldn't go out of my way to you know stream their music or whatever but if i heard them i'm like okay cool whatever yeah they were really good live i was kind of surprised yeah so they were awesome get they get off the stage news breaks taylor hawkins passes away so that kind of was kind of a downer it was kind of like oh oh shit okay well it kind of wrecks a good evening right Pretty much. And then Monster Truck goes up. And of course, if anybody who's been a listener of Third Line Plug knows that I like myself, the band Monster Truck. Didn't we use them as an opening once? We've used them probably three or four straight seasons. Because it went from like, why are you not rocking to, I don't believe we used the Enforcer. Yeah. Why are you not rocking to Denim Danger, which we used last year for a right. thing. And this year we're using the used, so it's pretty good. But overall, no, Monster Truck got on stage. And this is the band that I was really looking forward to because I was like, yeah, man, Monster Truck, they're going to be awesome. I've always wanted to see them live. They just met expectations. And I don't know if it's they were just kind of okay live or my expectations were so high to see them that they were just kind of, I just went, okay. Well, Uh, You probably hyped them up too much. I think so. But no, they were pretty good. They played a lot of their big hits. Like they played the Enforcer and Old Train or yeah, Old Train, Denim Danger. Like they played a lot of their big hits that you would know from them. So right. that was great. And of course, Big Wreck comes on. And I've already seen Big Wreck. I saw them with Motley Crue about 10 years ago. And they're one of those bands. And I've, I said this about Big Wreck. Big Wreck is one of those bands that you would not really know the name of the band but you would know their songs. Right. Like if you heard them on the radio or you're like, cause one of the guys I work with, I was telling him about it. He goes, oh, I've never heard of them. I says, well, stream it. He starts streaming. goes, Oh, okay. I know that song. Okay. I know that song too. Oh shit. Okay. I know all these songs. They're one of those bands. Right. It's like, they are there. They don't have like the full name recognition, but they'll pop up every so often. Yes very much so they're one of those bands and i've seen them live because i i kind of knew what to expect from them live and i was like it was good like they were tight they were pretty solid nothing groundbreaking i think the only thing for me is that when they came out momentum was high like they came out with some real rocking tunes they had a song called bombs away which is like one of the newest songs pretty heavy has like a newer allison chains feel to it pretty solid. okay goes into that song great but then the momentum just dip 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 and then it kind of went down right it was like you know you start up here and you finish down here right almost as if they felt like they were closing down the show by put (laughs) by getting you guys ready to go back on the street (laughs) pretty much and you know what that's not a bad way of looking at it i actually didn't even think of that way but yeah but it was not too bad it was my first concert seeing in sydney of all places right and you would think it was just like a community hall. Weird. It was attached to a theater. Yeah, it was just like, it was a, what was it? Boating, the Bowdoin Family Hall or whatever it's called. Pretty good. Not a, it was just a big, some sort of big room. Had a stage. It was good though. Good time. Yeah. Well, it's f- always funny sometimes where you're like, wait, you guys played. Like sometimes even like, I'll be surprised what fans go through the Commodore Ballroom. Because at the end of the day, the Commodore Ballroom is just a big room. Yeah, but the Commodore Ballroom is a pretty well-known... It's well-known, but it's still like, huh, you guys played there at this point in your career? Crazy. Yeah, but you know what, though, is that you can understand that, right? If yeah. they were playing, like, a community hall or... In Duncan. Those, yeah, or you're playing, like, you know, the showroom or something. Like, yeah, okay, you can kind of see that. But Commodore is a pretty well-known, a pretty decent-sized concert venue anyway. That's so. fair. 
Yeah, because actually I went to see the podcast Hollywood Babylon there, the Kevin Smith, Ralph Garman one. That's when I wore my Victoria Royals jersey because Kevin Smith was always known to wear jersey. So I wore my Royals jersey walking down the, I don't I'm trying to remember where the street in Vancouver Commodore is. I got a lot of, oh yeah, Victoria Royals. That's awesome. <laughs> a lot of people from Victoria came over and they saw the jersey. Nice. That's awesome. In Vancouver, downtown Vancouver, that was like, that's great. Well, I guess it's like how many people are like diehard Giants fans, right? I can't yeah. imagine there being that many. Well, Giants fans are crazy because they will take the ferry over to Van- Victoria and watch the, them play the Royals. Like, oh, when, wow. Like my dad and I've seen the Royals play the Giants a number of times. And yeah, Giants fans come over. Okay. They're kind of like uh, Kelowna Rockets fans. Rocket fans will show up. And they get kind of rowdy and they chirp the Royals fans. Cause I think, I think, I can't remember if it's dad and I or Katrina and I, I was like, Hey Ben, when we went to see the Royals, what, did we see them play the Rockets? Uh, yeah, that was when we watched before we were dating. I, so I got a quick story to tell you. So <laughs> Katrina and I were watching the first period of the Sens game today. And we were talking about Bieber being the owner and she goes, yeah, I tell you, if Bieber buys the Sens, does this mean that Austin he'll try and convince Austin Matthews to sign with Ottawa? And I'm like, yes, probably. So let's get out of this. And let's talk about last week's episode with Alex Metzger. Because you know what? Alex was one of those guys who we've had him on the show. I think he was one of the... One of the early of, guests. One of the first, I think, first or second half recap episodes that we did. And he was great. He was really, really awesome. And he was one of those guys where... And I... And I'm not trying this to be disparaging to any of our guests, but you know, when you don't, when you don't really know people when you have them on the show, you're kind of not exactly sure how it's going to go. It could either be good, it could either not be great. Alex was really good, and Alex got a we got a lot of insight out of him. Yeah, he just comes back and does it all again. It's great. I know it's fantastic, man. Fantastic. You know, it's also fantastic though, Tim. Uh huh. Is me segueing to this little segment I like to call. Top of the hour. Have I ever just stolen the top of the hour se- segue before? I think so. I yeah. have? Okay. You? I don't know. Have you used it on Wild Wild Weiss? No, no, no. I mean, like, just you're about to do it, and then I'm just, just like, nope, I'm stealing oh. it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe that's a bit I could work in here while these episodes. But to just top not tell of, you top of my head i don't <laughs> i'm sure you probably have at one time or another but not that i can think of anyway right so you know tim on last week's episode we only had four stories to talk about for top of the hour yep we've got more than four stories to talk about oh the nhl has announced that the salary cap for the 2022-2023 season will go up one million dollars to 82.5 million big money boys yeah, it's going to be good, man. It's going to be good. What will Arizona do? Who's dead? Co- oh, maybe they need Zaitsev's contract. <laughs> the plot thickens. Yes, it does. The Colorado Avalanche became the ninth team since 1977 to reach the 100 point mark in 67 games or less. The all time record is the 1976 77 Montreal Canadiens who reached the feat. 62 games it's just insane thinking of how good the best teams are this year compared to everyone else like parody just didn't despite the flat salary cap despite the flat salary cap parody just did not happen this year and it's kind of nuts to think about right mm-hmm it really is and i made a comment on twitter today is that we're gonna get to a point a hundred points is a wild card spot. Yeah. We're not that far removed from that, Tim. No, not at all. Like, I think in the East, you will need 97 points to get the wild card spot because even the, like the top eight in the East are set. 100%. And the Islanders have an outside chance of getting that wild card spot because they're at six, 71 points. Washington's at 84. If the Islanders win all their remaining games, so that's 
13 plus 2, 15, 15 games. That's 30 points. That puts them to 101. If Washington wins, yeah, if Washington wins half their remaining games, they'd probably still make the playoffs. Like, <clears throat> sorry, I was just looking up here the 76 77 Montreal Canadiens. Guy Lafleur had a 136 points. Ken Drive, 41 wins. Would you like to guess what the ultimate, what the record they had that year was? They probably went like 70 and 10 or something stupid like that. 68 12. 68 12. 60 wins, eight losses, 12 ties. 12 ties. But you know what, though? Having the most wins in a season doesn't guarantee you a championship. Ask the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> The Florida Panthers set a new franchise record for most goals in a season scored with 265. So that's kind of cool that the Florida Panthers have reached this milestone, but I was just thinking, I'm like, over an 82-game season, well, I guess that's not even 82 games yet, but yeah, that I don't know. I, I kind of looked at it and I thought, oh, that's kind of low, but I just realized it is the Florida Panthers, a team that was never known for scoring. Yeah, and this is... That's the thing is like, this is probably the best regular season a Florida team has ever played. Are we and talking like Florida Panthers? Florida or- Panthers. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I think the Tampa Bay lightning of the 18, 19 season might like to have a word with you, Tim. Florida is pretty close to like this Florida season is pretty close to that Tampa season too. Eh? Because they're cool. at a, they're getting close to a three quarter point percentage. Yeah, and Florida. I mean, what can you really say anymore about these guys? Like, they are just so elite and so good. And they're a team that it's not like you have two or three great players and you have a bunch of scrubs around them. No. Look throughout their lineup. Well, we went through it last week. Duclair, Sam Reinhardt, Ekblad. I mean, go for Barkov. Barkov. Verhaggy. Oh, good Lord. Giroux, Ekblad, and Uyghur. Yeah. Like, that team is insane. I feel so bad for the Capitals. Because that is going to be a very tough first-round series. You know, I was just thinking, if I, if, if I do another hockey pool this year, <laughs> if I predict that the Florida Panthers win the Stanley Cup, whose sends jersey do I buy this time? Or do I buy a Panthers jersey? You get the Duke. Yeah. You get the Duke. I like like the Duke. It's tough, though, because Florida is playing really well. Colorado probably has the easier route to the cup because there's only, like, three good teams in the West. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, really, outside of Calgary and Colorado, like, really, who's in the West right now? Minnesota. Yeah. That's it. Because like Vegas is Vegas will probably Vegas could easily miss the playoffs this year. And you know what? I wouldn't even feel bad. I don't know if you, if you feel the same way I've gotten to the point with Vegas where it's just like, I'm happy when they fall apart and they fall flat on their face early on. It was like, okay, that's kind of cool. The first team to make it to the finals of expansion since, you know, the original expansion, but I don't know this. Vegas team is just becoming so unlikable that it's like, ugh. I guess the Dodonov thing just kind of kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I think it's since they got Eichel. To me, I don't know what it is. I think since they landed Eichel, I think I was Are just, you just an Eichel hater? Maybe. I might just be an Eichel hater, but I don't have hey, any Eichel hater. I might be, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're Sens fans, so that's to be expected. I don't know. <laughs> Remember that one time that he scored Florida beat or not Florida, Buffalo beaters, I think four nothing, and Eichel was the only one who scored. Oh yeah, that was funny. The Jack Eichel goal scored by Jack Eichel of four. Ottawa Senators versus Jack Eichel, goal scored by Jack Eichel. <laughs> yeah, uh, good times, good times. Now this is actually kind of a cool thing, and I did not realize him. The Pittsburgh yeah, yeah. Penguins became the first team in HLs salary cap era to record 11 goals in one game during their match versus the Detroit Red Wings. They are currently the first team since the Washington Capitals of 2003 to achieve the milestone. 
holy shit, Detroit is bad. And we're going to talk about that. Yep. Like even right now during the Sens game, they're losing 3-1 to us. Yeah, yeah. Well, Josh Norris has been doing Josh Norris things. Let's be perfectly real here. But man, this makes Carolina look like freaking geniuses. Like they weren't sold on Nadelkovich, didn't want to give him a qualifying offer, trade him to Detroit. And at the beginning of the season, like Nadelkovich continues to do Nadelkovich things. And then the bottom came out. Holy. And it doesn't help that this team can't, this Detroit team can't play defense. As somebody who has Nadelkovich as the goalie on their fantasy team, I can contest. He's sitting on the bench right now for this week. I'm, I can't do it anymore. Uh, I think I've just kind of forgotten about my fantasy team. <laughs> That's great, Tim. Well, it was like, okay. I was getting tired of opening up my Yahoo page to see half my starting roster injured. Like, man, that, that me, Mark Stone pick. I open it once a day just to see. And that's about it. Yeah. It was like, I was just getting tired of, okay, and now this guy's injured. This guy's injured. This guy's injured. This guy's injured. I know my brother and I are like duking it out for second right now. Nice. You know, I actually saw him on last Sunday. He and I were talking about that and yeah, it was good times. Good times. So Tim, now that we talked about teams, let's talk about some players. Now we got to talk about a fellow that Alex Metzger brought up on last week's episode, Phil Kessel, Arizona Coyotes forward, Phil Kessel surpassed Doug Jarvis for second on the longest Ironman streak in NHL history with 965 games. The current all-time record is held by Keith Yandel, whose record is now broken 989. I don't... Do you think that's pretty gutless by Philly to do this to him? No. Keith Yandel hasn't been an, hasn't been an everyday NHL player for about a year now. You know what? I It's setting him free, to for be honest. Me, <clears throat> do get it, get him to a thousand. He's eleven games away. Get him to a thousand, and then you can shut him off if you want. Well, I mean, at the same time, though, it's Philly could use that spot for development. True. If they if they don't, then I'll be like, yeah, okay, you, should, you might as well let Yandel play. Your team sucks shit anyway. But if you're gonna let a young D man get some reps to figure out what exactly he is, then yeah, I have no problem with that. And I think it would be way fucking funnier for Phil the Thrill to be the iron the all-time Iron Man. For somebody whose conditioning has always been the butt of jokes for years, <clears throat> that's amazing that Phil Castle is the one that's going to probably reach that milestone. Yeah, like he played a thousand the guy who gets dunked on for eating mustard. Yeah. And hot dogs. And hot dogs is going to be the NHL premier Iron Man. Like, I want that to happen. Oh, and eats uh, day-old nachos when he wakes up. (laughs) It's like, Phil, why are you eating it? I was just hungry. It was sitting right here, guys. (laughs) By the way, did I mention on the podcast that Adam reached out to me, giving me props for my Phil Phil Kessel impression? No, you didn't. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think I should have asked him what was it? Was it the jeans? Don't remind me who made you a star, bud. <laughs> it's just that nasally voice is just so funny. Yes, ear, turn off the lights. That's probably what it is. <laughs> now we're gonna move along from talking about a former Toronto Maple Leaf to a current Toronto Maple Leaf. And as much as I purposely don't mention his name on the pockets when they when we play them. You got to give him this. This is a pretty cool record. The Toronto Maple, Toronto Maple Leafs forward, Austin Matthews, became the fourth player in franchise history to record 50 goals in a season. Matthews, drafted first overall by Toronto in 2016, is the first lease since Dave Anderchuk in the 1993-94 season to achieve the feat. And it's incredible that we're going to see a lot more of that as goal scoring is up in the NHL. And it's good. Yeah, the talent's getting high. Like, look at Zegers in Anaheim. Oh, I am here for more Michigan goals. But it's, for a hockey-crazed market like Toronto, it's incredible to think that they haven't had 
a 50 goal scorer since Andrew Chuck, right? Yeah, and I mean, if there was one guy who you would have assumed after all these years to hit it, would either be Sundin or Kessel. Yeah, Sundin or Kessel, but definitely Matthews. Yeah. He's good. I'll give him that. Like, yeah, no, he's a he's a great player. Uh, yeah. I mean, when future Ottawa Senator owner Justin Bieber lures him to come to Ottawa, you know, it'd be good, but... Well, here's the thing. I was actually surprised that Chris Kreider didn't get there first because Kreider has been on a fucking tear this season and Leon Dreisaitl at 49. I'm all, I'm one of those people. I'm like, he hit what? Yeah. And Connor McDavid at just 40. Like, here's the thing. I would not be surprised if we have five or six guys who score 50 goals this season in the NHL. Carolina Hurricanes forward Sebastian Aho passed Rod Brendeber for fourth on the franchise all-time leader in goals with 175. Aho, at the time of the record, only needs four goals to pass. Sylvain Turgeon for ninth all-time. Is this including the Whalers? Yes. Okay. No, that's nuts. Although I've got a cooler thing that happened, I want to see Thursday. So both Carolina and... And the New York Islanders were playing that night. Both Sebastian Ajo scored within seconds of each other. That's pretty awesome. And it screwed with everybody's model. Because the only difference between Sebastian Ajo, there's no difference in how they spell their name. And for most, so in the database labeling, everyone has to come up with some weird convention to separate the Sebastian Ajos. It's amazing. Imagine if they were both drafted by the same team. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I, no, I do apologize. I didn't get a chance to look up it. Did he pass Turgeon for ninth? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Cause Sylvan Turgeon, also a former Ottawa center. Yeah. He played for the Hartford Whalers for a number of years. I think yeah. in one of our redraft episodes, I think. So then Turgeon, I think, I think it was, what year was that? Was it 84? I think when we did their 84 draft, I think we redrafted him. Nice. Actually, going back to goal scorers, do you know what's insane? What? Josh Norris, in all likelihood, will, sc- will be Ottawa's first 30 goal scorer since Milan McCulloch. He's got 27 in 51 games. Straight cash on and two tonight or this afternoon. This afternoon, yeah. So it's like Josh Norris will be Ottawa's first 30 goal scorer in a very long time. Yeah, the talent's coming along, man. We love to see it. Another thing we like to see, Tim, Florida Panthers forward Jonathan Huberto, who recorded his 400th career assist during the team's game versus the Montreal Canadiens. Huberto, drafted third overall by Florida in 2011, had recorded 23 goals, 70 assists for 93 points in 66 games for Florida at the time of the record. You know what? Hubes is awesome. He's got to, he and Barkov got to be two of the most underrated players in the NHL today. Well, maybe even the Duke. Yeah. Like that Florida top line despite the absolute destruction they're wreaking on the NHL, they don't get the respect they deserve. No, they really don't. They really don't. But you know what? It's really cool to see that Huberto, who's been in the NHL for a long time, finally get this record, right? And actually, Bobby Ryan made a really good point of Wally thought. I think it was a week or two ago, talking about the rebuild. And he says, you know, all the people on Sens Twitter who complain about the Sens rebuild and how it's not really coming as to go – Look at Florida. Look at how long it took Florida to get to this point. Florida's so weird, though, because it was fits and starts. Yeah. And then it just coalesced last year, right? 100%, man. 100%. Chicago Blackhawks captain Jonathan Taves played his 1,000th NHL game during the team's game versus the Florida Panthers. Taves, drafted third overall by Chicago in 2006, had recorded 10 goals, 19 assists for 29 points in 57 games for Chicago at the time of the record. You know, with I always forget how much time Jonathan Taves lost to injury. And it's kind of impressive that he even made it back. Yeah. Now, I do, gotta, I do want to mention one thing here, Tim. 
And I was thinking about this when the record, when he hit, when he hit this milestone, you know, because Marion Hosa made it into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a Blackhawk pre-Kyle Beach. Yeah. Before the news broke and all that stuff. So he got in scot-free. Like he got in, nobody knew. Yeah. Post-Kyle Beach, I've got to ask the question, do you think this whole thing with the Kyle Beach situation in Chicago, do you think that makes it more or less awkward if Taves, Kane, and Duncan Keith get into the Hall of Fame? Uh, going to be a black mark on them because they knew. I think the NHL just papers it over. Yeah. Honestly, I think it, for myself anyway, I think it's going to get to a point where it's not going to be in the public's consciousness when these guys go into the Hockey Hall of Fame. It won't be until that happens and then it gets brought back up. And then it's like, okay, yeah. well, should they go in the Hall of Fame? Which is such a... I'm not going to say it's a bullshit argument because again, you look at the hockey hall of fame, the amount of players in the hall of fame who have had shady passes and have said shit and done stuff that you would honestly be shocked that you're like, okay, how did this guy get in the hall of fame? Yeah, no. And that's the thing is it, this will like everything it does eventually blow over. And the hockey hall of fame will in, induct these people. Yeah. And I bring this up because, and I know it's a much, much different um, scenario in baseball because with the whole thing with steroids where Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they were both 10th year eligibility for the hall of fame. Neither of them got in the show. Yeah. And in baseball, 10th year is the last strike, right? Yeah. And I think good. hockey's, I don't think hockey has a limit, does it? No, no. So what I, so it's interesting because a lot of people, you saw on Twitter, people try to make a social justice argument about Barry Bonds being excluded from the from from the Baseball Hall of Fame. And no, there are plenty of African American baseballers that made it into the Baseball Hall of Fame the right way. Barry Bonds has no excuse. No, Bonds, it was so obvious too, right? Like he was on steroids. You go from one year where the bigger, well, the big thing is, is that you don't go from like 32, 33, 34 years old. And you're like, okay, I'm a good ball player. Now you hit 35, 36, 37. And you literally just like smack the ball with your hand and it goes like 300 feet. Well, did he also like doubled in size between, at age 35 and that just doesn't happen like that was insanity and i get the argument people have with baseball is that steroids saved baseball because baseball came out of the lockout 94 and it was hurting for a while it wasn't until sammy sosa and mark mcguire make running make a run for the home run record yeah that's what helped save it and then barry bonds came along and broke the record by himself and then it was just like Oh, that's cool. Oh, wait, he's on juice. Yeah. Which he was so obvious that he was on the juice. It's interesting, though. Baseball's very willing to exclude people from the from Bakersfield there. You mean Cooperstown? Cooperstown, sorry. Cooperstown, Bakersfield. It's a last day of both profession. <laughs> Bakersfield is for the culinary. All it's for the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for Cooperstown there. Uh, because the White Sox team that lived on in infamy still isn't in the, and will probably never be in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose. Pete Rose, yeah. It's, so, like, definitely kudos to the, the MLB and the people that curate the uh, American Baseball Hall of Fame. So we're going to talk about a fine, Tim. Boston Bruins forward Taylor Hall has been fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA for roughing Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman Ilya Lubushikin. You know what's funny is Adam sent me a TikTok of, I think it was some hockey TikToker, and she used the, the audio from Lisa the Vegetarian where Marge goes, Bart, no! And the <laughs> caption is Brad, no. And Brad's like, what? 
Sorry, force of habit. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing. Is that Taylor Hall's first run in with player yep. safety? It is. Honestly, it was one of those things. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I did see like still photos of it. And yeah, I get it. Yeah, there's definitely worse. 100%. Excuse me. Arizona Coyotes forward Nick Ritchie has been suspended one game for slashing Anaheim Ducks defenseman Kevin Shattenkirk. Ritchie is not a repeat offender. I'm actually surprised that Jay Beagle got nothing. Yes. Because that was vicious. Well, did you see what was it, Troy Terry's face? Yeah. Big goose egg on his eye. Well, his eyes are discolored. Did you notice that in the photo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fucked. I know. And Zegris is just like, you know, he thinks it's bullshit that a guy like that will punch out a 32-goal scorer in the NHL. Although I laughed when he said a superstar. I'm like, Troy Terry's not a superstar in their traffic. He's getting there. Yeah. Honestly, and I th- we've talked about like the, the Michigan goal. I, It's not that impressive to me anymore. Yeah, but not it's that still... I'm saying that I'm not in favor of it. I think it's really cool. I think if people enjoy it, that's awesome. But yeah, for me, I'm just kind of, eh, okay. Well, that's kind of the thing is it was really cool the first time it happened. Yeah. But if you're keep, if you're still getting exploited by the trick this third or fourth or 10th time it happens, maybe instead of gooning up, you should just get good at hockey, Mr. Beagle. Yeah. So we only got, well, I shouldn't say we only got one sign. We've got two signs to talk about this week. Minnesota Wild have re-signed defenseman Alex Goligoski to a two-year, $4 million contract with an AAV of two. Goligoski had recorded two goals, 26 assists for 28 points in 58 games for Minnesota at the time of the signing. You know what? Goligoski has, over his whole career, he's just been a solid defenseman. And not in the, he just plays a lot of minutes, therefore solid type. Like when he was on the ice, puck goes the right way. And he was part of some very strong Dallas teams and was the alone bright spot in Arizona. At 37 though, how much does he have left in the tank? Honestly, I put him on the list of guys that I forget are still in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Like, this is a guy who won a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. 100%. Or, or going to Dallas. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because you never think of Goligoski as a guy that's still in the NHL. It's kind of like, you know, like Dan Cleary is still in the NHL. You got Andrew Cogliano still in the NHL. Sam Gagne is still in the NHL. You tend to forget these guys are still in the NHL. Wait, Dan Cleary's still around? Apparently, Dan Cleary is still not NHL, from what I understand. Yes, he might be in the minors right now, or he might be retired, but. As far as I know, I think he's still in the NHL. Dan Cleary, hockey reference. Hockey DB, let's see. Dan Cleary, no, he retired in 2016. Oh, okay. But still, there are guys you're just like, excuse me? Yeah, I sorry, I assumed he was still in the NHL, to be honest with you. No, no, no. So we're going, to go, we're going to close off top of the hour by talking about an Ottawa Senators story. Now, this is one of these things where I was going to include the Melnick story in top of the hour, but given he's our cover athlete, that's why we didn't include it. But the Ottawa Senators have signed Jake Sanderson to a three-year entry-level contract. Sanderson, drafted fifth overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2020, recorded eight goals, 18 assists for 26 points in 23 games for the University of North Dakota. And Bruce Garriock on, I want to say, the Friday night broadcast basically said that they expect Jake Sanderson to suit up near towards the end of April here. So towards the end of the season. So that's that's fantastic. We'll get to see what Jake Sanderson looks like at the NHL level. And uh, pretty much anyone who's been looking at prospects over the last year has said, this is the best guy who's not in the NHL right now. Yeah, I think he came second or something, didn't he? Something like that, yeah. So that's going to be an immediate, immediate boost to Ottawa's defense core. 
Who would be number one, though, if Sanderson is number two? That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of anybody right now, Tim. Yeah. Must be your morning brain. 100%. Well, guys, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. So we're talking about some games. Now, we've got two games on the schedule. We've got the Senators versus the Predators and the Sens versus the Red Wings. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Predators. This is a four to one Predators victory. Brady Chuck had the lone Sens goal. Brad's goals were scored by Michael McCarron with two, Tanner Jenyart, and Matthew Shane. Shots were 37 31 for the Senators. A somewhat even game overall. Ottawa started the game off outplaying Nashville with the Predators capitalizing on their chances. However, as the game went on, Nashville continued their offensive play as they were able to secure the W. Man, usually Soros played an incredible game. Yep. Like if, I can, the, if I could borrow something from Urinating Tree, UC Soros is too good right now. Yeah. Like, I actually think Ottawa should have won this game. Like, they're off. They got way better chances and they were able to draw a lot. They drew a lot of penalties. And their power play looked really good. But UC Soros, besides the Brady Kachuk goal, just shut the door. And oh. that Brady Kachuk goal was a thing of beauty, too. It was a great game. That was a good goal bomb. But could you imagine? Remember that slide pass to Drake? They got stopped by yours. What if he had scored on that? Oh, that would have been insane. Pass? Yeah, no kidding. Like, I for this loss, I don't think the Ottawa Senators should feel bad. Like, this is one of those games where the goalie just stole the game. And if Saros continues to be this hot, Calgary might have some trouble. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, it's one of those games where the goal, where the scoreboard doesn't fully represent or recognize the, how the team played. And then, of course, Brady had a goal on six shots. I want to talk about Tim Stutzler because, again, even though Stutzler didn't have a goal in this game, he had one assist and two shots, and he just continues to get better and better. But I like the comment he made post-game, or I think it was a post-game or the next day, where he was talking to the media, and he says, yeah, the coaches tell me <laughs> that he needs to shoot more. 100%, I agree with that. Yeah. At the same time, though, it's like it's just one of those things where you, he, it's still getting used to – exactly what your NHL tool set is. And in the Detroit games, the one that is currently going on and the one that went down and we'll talk about, he is shooting more. He is, as I just saw it right now, he just took a shot off. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, and like that's the thing is Stutzla was all over the ice. But also the Chuck Norris Batherson line was absolutely dominant. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about this? Because again, I think it might have been this game or the game prior to this one where Norris looked like he got hurt on the game and the play yeah. was, you know, the B and B line's been great, but can you imagine if the Backstreet Boys line got together? BSB. BSB. Let's go. Brady Stutzla bath. Yeah, that'd be sick. Also the Hamannick Delzato pairing has been surprisingly good. I know. I know it's only been a small sample size, but yeah, they've been they've been pretty solid. Even in this game, I thought they've been they've been all right. Yeah, like it's for a pairing that I expected literally nothing from. Is it because is it because of that? Because we have no expectations on them that it's just like they could basically go out there and not embarrass themselves and we would think they're not bad. Well, the thing is, is they're statistically good. Like even the underlying like they look good to the eyes and the underlying stats support it. And it's like, it's only small, it's all small sample stuff, but like we're getting to this weird place where if that continues through the end of this season and into next season, like if this, if the Del Zotto Hamnick pairing somehow continues into next season is Ottawa's third pairing. Mm-hmm. It might not be a bad thing. It's not Hamannick's a UFA at the end of the year, isn't he? 
Or is that next year? No, he he has one or two more years left on his chart on his contract. Yeah, I know M- MDZ, I think he's a our UFA after next season, but yeah, Hamannick and so out of Ottawa's defenseman, Zaitsev is UFA. Okay. In 2024-2025, the, re- the rest that are UFA eligible, Hamannick, Zub, Delzato, and Holden, mm-hmm. all expire after the end of next season. Okay. So we're going to have some news to talk about next season is what you're talking Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's going to be good, though, man. It's going to be good. Now, another the final guy I want to talk about here is Anton Forsberg. 28 saves, a .903 save percentage. I don't necessarily want to talk about the goals because I can't blame on him. The trapezoid. Okay. I'm sorry. The trapezoid is so fucking stupid. I get why they put it in. Marty Turco's gone. And Bruder's gone. They want, basically, they. it's because of them. It was like playing tennis. They would come out. The defenseman didn't need to come back. They went out and got it. <laughs> So I can understand it, but again, I think you're handcuffing goalies now with the trapezoid. And this is a perfect example because Forsberg's like, shit, I can't go get it now. Yeah. I could see it right there. Yeah, and it's tough. But at the same time, like there are goalies that nowadays that are probably just as good as stick handlers as Brodeur and Turco were. Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky. And people are saying that even Mad Sogard is a really good stick handler. Yeah, and we'll talk about him in the next game. But yeah, they're just one of those guys where like Vasilevsky, and I've seen him live. Like he looks like a lacrosse goalie. He's so big in the net. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that's one of those things that I wouldn't mind if they got rid of it, to be honest with you. The trapezoid. If you want the NHL to be more offensively gifted. The trapezoid should go. The trapezoid should be gone. No, I, I could buy that. Yeah. You know what? They won't take it out, though. They won't take it out until it affects the team in the playoffs. Yeah. So so I don't have any more notes to make on this Preds game. If you want to head off into the Red Wings game, Tim. Let's do her. Sens versus Red Wings. This is a 5-2 to two Senators victory. Sens goes scored by Matthew Joseph with the hat trick, Austin Watson, and Josh Norris. Red Wings goals are scored by Lucas Raymond with two. Shots for 31-29 for the Senators. Austin Watson opens the scoring to make a one nothing Senators on a pass from Matthew Joseph. Lucas Raymond scores to get Detroit on the board to tie the game at one. Josh Norris scores on a one-timer to make it 2-1 Senators, because of course he would have. Matthew Joseph cleans it up to make it 3-1 Sens. Matthew gets his second of the night to make it 4-1 Senators. Lucas Raymond gets a second of the night to make it 4-2 Sens. And Joseph gets the hat trick to make it a 5-2 Senators final. Now, I did get a chance to watch this game, so I had to condense watch it. Matu Joseph, three goals, one assist for four points on seven shots. You want to talk about a guy who was the talk of Sen's Twitter minutes after this game. He just played an incredible game. You can't ask for more from a... Ooh, Ooh, Um, yeah, Formanton's injured. Anyway, uh, you can't ask for more from Matu Joseph and... He was absolutely dominant. His line with Colin White and Tyler Ennis were above 80% in the expected goal share. And just even the first goal watching, watching the setup pass on that goal was incredible. It was. And Matthew Joseph's been a guy who I'll be the first to admit, I really haven't really noticed him out there. I think a lot of people have noticed him personally. Uh, for me, he really hasn't caught my eye, but I do want to talk about Josh Norris. One goal and three shots. Straight cash, homie. Straight ca- Well, that goal was such a Josh Norris goal. Norris from his office. Norris from his office in his home state. Yep. Same with Austin Watson. Like like Norris, another Michigan boy who scored in this game for the Sens. Austin Watson, that was a goal scorer's goal, eh? Yep. <laughs> You just duck like I was watching the game and Chelsea was sitting next to me and I was like, holy crap. And she's like, did the, she wasn't even sure it went in at first because it just popped out so fast. Yeah. And then I was like, he doesn't usually shoot the puck that hard or at all. Which is a shame because of course, when he gets bumped for Parker Kelly next season, 
Yeah. There's not much you can do about that, right? So no, no. Now I do uh, want to talk about Matt Solgard. His first NHL start, 27 saves, 0.931 save percentage. Got to give him that. He looked pretty sharp. Yeah. And both of the goals that Raymond scored were things of beauty from in tight, like a nice tip and a really nice backhander. Although like that backhander did kind of squeeze through, but it was still just like a, it was a very nice outing Mm -hmm. because other, he only had, he had the one goal that he'd rather not have, but he stole a few too. He really did. Now, do you want to turn our attention to the big controversy of this game with Alex Formanton? That goal should have fucking counted. Same. I have it in my notes. Alex Formanton goal should have counted. So for folks who didn't get a chance to watch the game, what happened is that Alex Formanton cross-checked the defenseman in the white paint, which happened to impact Nedeljkovic, who was outside of his crease, and the puck, which created an open net that Formanton scored on. And the NHL called it goaltender interference. I've seen goals where that was not goaltender interference. Yeah. And yeah, I, that was clearly that was clearly a goal. 100%. And the fact that it didn't count, and since Twitter was up in arms about it, I... I was up in arms about it. Give yeah, four money to this dude. It should have counted. Even if I was unbiased towards my team, I would have said, yeah, that should have counted. Yeah. Uh, what else is there? Oh, holy shit. This Detroit team can't play defense. Like as soon as Ottawa got the puck, they would just spend extended time in the Detroit zone and Detroit would just look like the Keystone cops. Just watch this game. Yeah. Like what is going on with this team? Like, were they just like scoring a fluky amount to begin the season? And then it just kind of came back to reality. I think so. I think it's what happened. Because they are not good. Detroit's rebuild is so much further ahead than ours. You watch them and you're like, is it? Is it really? No, no, it isn't. I'm going to venture out and say if Ottawa didn't have the injury trouble, we'd probably be above Detroit in the standings. 100%. We... That would have... And I said this right from the beginning, that we would have been a fifth place team in our division. Yeah. And, like, there was some incredible stats that the play-by team was rattling off on Friday night, including that Detroit, over the last 16 games, has given up an average of five goals a game. And they have given up, I want to say, seven power play goals in their last five games. Like, something ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's honestly one of those things where can you really say, right? Yeah. So uh, I think the send, and that's the other thing though, is like with the senders, you can see what off too. Yep. So like with the senders, you can, you can see what they're going for, which is the nice thing. Yeah, absolutely. So Tim, I don't have any more notes to make on these game. If you just want to head after the close for another episode. Yeah, I'm good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording up for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find a page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Light Plugs, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honeybadger. I'm at Great White Gipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or, you know, you just want to be bullshit in general. I'm always open to talk, guys. Shoot me an email, thirdofplusdeskguys at gmail.com. It's a shame how I couldn't come up with anything, and I was like, ah, just shoot me an email, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It works. So, Tim, even though we talked about two games on this week's episode, we got four games this week. We've got this afternoon, this, I guess, this morning's game for us West Coasters. Today's game versus the Detroit Red Wings, which we're currently leading 3-1 to one in the third period. Tuesday, we head to Montreal to play Le Canadien. Thursday, we return home to play the National Predators. And Saturday, we travel to Madison Square Garden to play the New York <laughs> Rangers. You mean we get to play Igor Shatterskin? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Until next week, guys. I'm your host, Tither Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Sens, guys. Woo! Saying that I